Welcome back to another School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined by Adam and Chris, as always. We've got a lot to talk about, specifically a pretty awesome game this past weekend, uh, you know, uh, against Wolves. And we'll get into that as well as a preview and some other stuff. But before we do that, Chris, Adam, how are you guys doing today? Call that an awesome game. Yeah, it's awesome, except for my blood pressure. But other than that, it was an awesome game. <laughs> it, it was it was enjoyable if you were a neutral. How about that? Yeah, that's that's very fair. Very, very fair. Um, so, yeah, Wolves uh, came to Goodison Park to take on the Toffees. The end result was a 3-2 win for the Toffees, which is always good. And three points at home against a solid team. Um, tons of goals. Uh, especially in the first, I believe, 12 goals, um, which, you know, Everton put up two of those three goals after only scoring once in three Premier League matches prior to that. Um, you know, let's start off with that and talking about the goals and, and the attack. Chris, what did Everton do differently in attack to increase its offensive output? So I, I don't really want to – oversimplify this and also take away from another thing that we're going to talk about but and I'm interested to hear Adam's viewpoint on this but I think the biggest thing was probably Fabian Delph um, I, I know it's it's probably easy to look at the inclusion of Alex Iwobi and Moise Keane and say oh well that surely that's what it was you know that they're they're better and more exciting than Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Bernard but uh, Fabian Delph's progressive passing and his ability to just hold on to the ball I think a lot of times we don't realize what a big difference that makes in terms of building an attack. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, being able to control the ball in the midfield is something that Everton has, has struggled with at times. You know, we looked for the, the partner for, for Ghana when he was here because he wasn't really that guy. Um, and, and now obviously he's gone and that the need to be able to hold the ball in the midfield becomes, you know, that much more important. I also think that the other, the other thing that I would want to touch on with the, the attack, uh, especially in the first half, um, was that Marco Silva utilized Gilfie Sigurdsson, obviously out of the, you know, the, the central role, the number 10 role, um, that he normally plays, but he peeled off on, over onto the right side, Everton's attacking right. Pretty frequently, and if you look at his pass map for the game, you know, the majority of his passes come from kind of that right center channel. And it was really, uh, I, I think, done because Wolves were playing a back five. Richarlison and Coleman were, were pushing Vinagre down, down that wing, and there was this space to operate to get on the ball away from the wing backs, away from the central midfielders kind of in the, on the, the right wing. And it got Gilfie more involved than, you know, I think we've seen him in a long time. And we talk about it all the time on this show that, you know, we we want to see Gilfie more involved and we're not sure what that needs to look like. Um, well, I, I think Silva recognizing that that 5-3-2 or the 3-5-2, however you want to look at it, um, that Wolves played and recognizing, OK, this, the space where, where we can get players time on the ball is in the wide areas in front of the fullbacks uh, was a very intelligent one and it got Gilfie involved. He obviously assisted um, on Alex Iwobi's goal, the, the second Everton goal with a pinpoint cross from that spot, really right at the top right corner of the box. And, and that was something that we saw really throughout the match 
that is not something that we've seen enough of uh, getting getting Gilfie involved in the game. Yeah, and I think another thing that plays into that, as you kind of alluded to, is that Richarlison had. Uh, I don't. Do you think it's fair to say maybe his best game in an Everton shirt? I don't know. It's got to be close, right? Um, and and the result of that was that Ruben Vinagre was basically drowning on the pitch. I kind of felt sorry for him. I mean, Richarlison was just it had him pinned so far back that there, like you said, there's all that space there, and he could not do anything else but worry about him. Yeah, and and that's exactly you know the every every system, every formation, every setup you know has its its weakness, and and if you're gonna play with those wing backs advanced then you got to worry about guys getting in behind but if you play with those wing backs sitting deep like Richarlison kind of forced Wolves to then you've got all this space between uh the central midfielders and and the fullbacks and gosh you know Richarlison at times was exploiting it Coleman at times was exploiting it Gilfie at times was exploiting it um and, and it's it, it made a huge difference and it was nice to see uh I think a a goal from the very start from Silva that spoke immediately to the weakness uh, in in his opposition's side. Well, and and it wasn't like Marco necessarily stuck to that the whole game either, because you saw the goal, the third goal, which came in the second half, was a result of re- reverting to playing the ball back down the left and letting uh, Luca Dean set things up. Yeah, which is always going to be part of the attack because. Dean's so good, and obviously Iwobi, you know, is, is a guy who certainly I've been impressed by, and I think you guys have as well. Um, but we've we have seen him, uh, Silva, uh, opt for a right side heavy attack in the past for God knows what reasons, um, and and it often hasn't hasn't worked. Um, but because of the intent with which it was done this week with getting Gilfie out wide. And also it helps when you have on the opposite wing, a guy in Alex Iwobi, who is a threat to kind of drift central and, and be a nuisance there in a way that Bernard is not. It allows you a little bit more freedom to work down the right. And I mean, Everton, like 40% of their attacking third possession was in the right-hand channel uh, this week and it worked. Yeah, I, I was told by Arsenal fans that Alex Iwobi had no end product. I don't know what they were looking at. I well, guess he just had to get out of the Emirates. I I uh, I think it was the case, right, that he had one headed goal in his entire professional career before he came to Everton, and he's now he's two got in two in a week. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't think that that's something that we can count on, you know, from him long term necessarily to continue no, scoring think- headed goals, but... Again, he is a he is a danger in and around the box in a way that Bernard is not, and in a way that keeps opposing defenses honest when you have the ball on on the right wing, and he is that guy on the off wing. You pay a little, you have to pay a little more attention to him cutting inside uh, off the ball than you do a guy like Bernard. Yeah, it's 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 been pretty cool seeing it was pretty cool seeing that seeing those guys get involved and like you guys said a Wobi um definitely a little bit of a presence in there on that left side um when the ball was being played uh around over on the right um the attack just looked it it it, it looked good it, you know was um you know kind of free flowing we got we got a really good really good idea of you know some of the things that these players can do together um you know obviously um, you know, Delph played a, a part in that and you wonder, um, 
you know, how that increases, uh, you know, or, or plays with the midfield moving forward in, in Silva's eyes. Um, but moving forward here to the other side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, after four in their last two, two against Villa, two against Wolves, should we be concerned about the defense at all? Um, and if so, what specifically concerns you? Adam, we'll go to you first. I'm not super concerned about the defense. Um, and, and I'll start with, with this week's uh, breakdowns, which really were both result of mistakes by Luca Digne. Uh You know, he gets burnt by Adama Traore uh, on the first one, and – the Traore gets a good cross in from a dangerous Which, area, and you know yeah, Everton yeah, gets. By the way, not the he's not the first player to get burnt by him, and nor will he be the last. No, not... no. <laughs> um, you know, and, and Everton even a little bit unlucky after the cross because Coleman was there to deal with it. You know, it takes kind of an unfortunate hop, and it lands right on a Wolves player foot, and then it's in the back of the net. And then on the second, uh, again, uh, Luca just kind of got caught sleeping, didn't pick up his man off a cross, and and next thing you know, the ball is in the net. Um, I'm not particularly worried about that because I I can't really think of a time last season that he was responsible for a goal against like at all uh, and and I I open I open the floor to you guys to challenge me on that but I I spent a lot of this week thinking about it and I, I could not well, recall uh, a goal where I went oh God you know Luca really really botched that one defensively up until this week. You know, there may be one that we're not remembering, but I think the fact that no, none of us can remember one off the top of the top of our heads is instructive, right? Like, you know, yeah. if, if there was a real bad one that stuck out, I think I would remember it. And I, I, I do think with you know giving up a couple goals to Lincoln and then a couple goals to Wolves, you're already starting to see the lack of Adrissa Gay, even though it may not seem that way. Um, there, there was always a lot of things that he would just clean up before they became major problems further towards Jordan Pickford's net. And that's something that Everton are going to have to account for moving forward as Marco Silva works on his game plans. Yeah. And obviously I, I suspect that the, um, the fix for that was, was supposed to at least in part be uh, Jean-Philippe Gabamon, but uh, well, <laughs> he's, he's going to be hurt for a while yet. So, uh, you know, there's going to have to be a little bit of a, of a plan B. Um, like I said, I, I felt that the the breakdowns in this match were not that concerning to me because they came from a player who is normally very reliable, and I have no reason to think, you know, will continue to be a problem going forward. Uh, and I'm not ultimately concerned about any goal that the team concedes against opposition of any level when Mason Holgate is on the field, so you can throw the Lincoln City match right out. Um, so. Uh, you know, it's, the defense is obviously not, it is not as good as you might have hoped, um, in an ideal world after the first three games, but it's also nowhere near as bad as it's looked since the Aston Villa game either, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, everybody pining for Kurt Zuma, by the way, he's had an absolutely horrific start to the season oh. for Chelsea. Love to have the, uh... two own goals in my first, what, three league games, four league games. I... I uh, and he may have actually conceded a penalty in there at some point as well. I believe yeah, he, he did in their opener. The yeah. first game he con- he conceded one. 
So, uh, you know, I, I, I like Michael Keane too, but I, you know, I'm not acting out like that when I don't get to see him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, uh, the conspiracy theorists are, uh, are out in number on Twitter and he's playing <laughs> like garbage to angle a move back to Everton. Okay. <laughs> you, whatever you need to tell yourself to sleep at night, Twitter, you keep telling yourself that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly if that's, uh, that's exactly what he's doing there. Uh, you, you would, uh, you know, even with him not on the team this year, you would have hoped that he would have, um, you know, played a little bit better, um, you know, for Chelsea, I guess, and, and just hoped to. I do. Yeah. I feel from, for from him a personal because, standpoint. Yeah. I, I like Kurt Zuma. He seems a very nice fella. Um, his attitude was always great when he was here, when he was in the lineup, when he wasn't in the lineup. I, I hope that he turns it around for his sake, but, I mean, if him tanking does lead to Chelsea deciding to want to sell him and he comes back and remembers how to, you know, play football, I mean, I wouldn't argue with that outcome either. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't think he, I don't think, I think we agree he's nowhere near as bad as he's shown um, no. these first couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, it, it, from our defensive perspective, I think you guys, again, hit it, um, hit the nail on the head, you know. We're not as bad as we were against Aston Villa. I think, you know, some of the things we've seen the last few weeks are things that don't typically happen for, um, for, you know, the, the Everton defense or from what we've seen. Um, and I think the defense will sure up a little bit as the season goes on. Um, and they start to figure out, um, how they want to play and with, um, and, and the chemistry on the field starts to figure itself out in the, in the back there. Um, but moving on to, like, let's talk about Richarlison specifically, who we've mentioned already a little bit. Two goals in the match against Wolves. Um, really good performance there. I believe he had a goal on uh, Wednesday against Lincoln City as well. Um, we were talking about things that were wrong with Richarlison. We asked the question last time we talked, what, if anything, is wrong with him? But now after these performances, I think we should ask, what's going right with him? What do you guys see from him? Uh, in these last couple games, specifically against Wolves, that was different from the opening couple of weeks this season, um, and it's led to his improvement. And Chris, we'll go to you first. So, uh, the 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 biggest thing that I notice, and I I don't know how much this actually contributes to his attacking um, output, but Richarlison was a defensive menace on Sunday morning. Um, it, he had something like nine ball recoveries, which is just. I, I think Astounding it was 12 or 13. Yeah, whatever the number was, it was preposterous. And, you know, you could kind of, if you were watching the match, you could see that he was actively tracking back and harassing Vinagre and um, and the other players on that side of Wolves' formation. And it, it just seems like when he's he's engaged defensively, the attack is much easier for him. I don't know if it's an attitude thing or what. You know, I'm not in Richarlison's head. I'm not in the, the locker room or what have you. But it seems like for him, good things are born out of putting in more effort on the defensive side. And, and I think I'll even expand on that a little bit further um, because I, I do think that part of it is is definitely mental. And we've always said of Richarlison, you know, the attitude is at times his, his own worst enemy. I think that kind of Silva's tactical plan from the off, which was to get Gilfie Sigurdsson over on the right to kind of shoulder the creative burden there, which really just kind of turned Richarlison loose. It gave him the freedom to go 
wherever he felt like he needed to go, which at times, you know, twice was getting into the right position to put the ball in the back of the net, tracking back defensively. You know, we've said it time and time again, and I will scream it to the hills until I am dead. He is a creative black hole. He should not be relied upon to create offense for this team. He's not a good passer. He does not necessarily make great decisions on the ball. The less that he has to shoulder creatively, the better the rest of his all-around game is going to be because that lets him move off the ball. It lets him get in people's faces, and that's what he's good at. And you could kind of feel it from the opening whistle that he felt like he had that freedom because Sigurdsson had been kind of tasked with being the creative outlet on his wing, and he was just going to go be a nightmare for friggin' everybody around him. And I think that obviously in attack from a tactical perspective, that frees him to drift centrally and, and to find the space. But I do think, you know, as Chris alluded to, also from a mental perspective, that's freeing for him as well to just know, you know what, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to be a nightmare for anybody that comes up against me for 90 minutes and not worry about, you know, uh, am I progressing the ball? Am I making the right cross? I'm just going to go out and be a nuisance. And that's when he's at his best. Yeah, I mean, he's done some some really good th- – he did some really good things in that game against um, against Wolves. And, you know, kind of, I guess, maybe a collective deep breath after that game once you see him put a couple on the net in the Premier League. Uh, you know, the fans kind of – you know, can relax a little bit, not have to worry about him and just, you know, not put those first few games uh, to bed and not have to worry about them because he's clearly uh, figured some things out and started to play a little bit better here. And that, I mean, that could be a product of, you know, some of the other players that were on the field opening some other things up for him. But, um, but definitely some good things there from him. Now, you know, before we uh, move on here, we talked about Fabian Delph a little bit. But is there anything else that you guys want to talk about with him specifically? Um, you know, what he did well in the game against the Wolves and how he really um, improved the side uh, um, against Wolves uh, on Sunday. Adam, you want to start off this one? You know, I, I think it's so hard at times to really quantify how much uh, difference a true holding midfielder makes in your side um matt doyle who writes for for mls here in the states has said before uh that his feeling is that the true mvp of uh, of a league in any given year is the best teams the best team in the leagues holding midfielder their their true number six is, is the mvp of of any team uh and of any league and, and i i think you know there's a lot of truth in that because just the ability to dictate the tempo, to control play, to get the ball into the areas where it needs to be, where the manager has kind of identified, okay, these are the, the areas that we want to attack. And to be able to cut out attacks in the midfield before it puts pressure on your defense it is just so vital to everything that any team is going to do. And, you know, Delph was the best midfielder in the game for either team by a lot this week. Um, you know, and that's not to say that I think on the whole he'll wind up having a better season than Andre Gomes or whatever else, but it was his day. He was clearly up for the task. Uh, and, and that, 
that calming influence in the midfield on a team that has a lot of young attackers and, you know, that is at times just a crazy pressing mess <laughs> uh, to, to have that experience and that composure in the center of midfield is so vital to everything that they're going to do. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that, you know, the the biggest thing that he's provides differently from Madrissa Gay is that ability to, to move the ball forward. And surprisingly, if you look at his his numbers from the, the match on Sunday, the defensive output was really not that much different than something you would typically get out of Gay um, on a given weekend. You know, he had, let's see, one, two, three, four tackles, two interceptions, two clearances, a couple of ball recoveries. You know, there's a lot of different stuff going on there. And when you combine that with the just the the serenity, I guess, for lack of a better term, where, he, you know, he's not running around like a chicken with his head cut off, as Gay has been accused of in the past. And, you know, and, Andre Gomez is a good player. Sometimes he's I, inconsistent is maybe the word for it. And you don't get the inconsistency vibe with Delph at all, which is which is nice. And that's not to say that, you know, we're going to look back. 35 games from now or whatever it is and say that he was better than Adrissa Gay, but it's, it's certainly a different change of pace. Yeah. And I think the, the, one of the things with Delph and, and one of the main reasons I think we signed him was just his experience. And, um, you know, with some of younger midfielders in there, Andre Gomesh, um, Gabamon, when he comes back, you know, it's a good, you know, thing for them to see and learn from, um, and then him, his leadership in the, you know, in the dressing room is, is obviously something that, um, we don't see, but is, you know, one of those intangibles that can help a team get through difficult parts of the season or difficult games. And, and I think that that's an important thing to look at for him as well. Um, yeah, when you look is, at him. You know, to, to your point, you know, um, the stream for the, the Lincoln City game on, on, I think a week ago today, actually, the game hadn't even kicked off yet, and Fabian Delph's in the center circle just yelling at Yeri Mina and Michael Keane and presumably giving them some sort of instruction because c- the game hadn't started yet. And, you know, that's not the type of thing that you're going to see from Andre Gomez. It's not the type of thing that you're even going to see from Gilfie Sigurdsson. You might see it from Seamus Coleman, but to some extent, somebody needs to grab these young guys by the scruff of the neck and and tell them, you know, this is how it's got to be. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a, it's very – it's good to have someone like that and – you know, you hope that, you know, an Andre Gomesh and, uh, you know, a Gabama can learn from, learn from those things that Delph puts on the field and it makes, it makes them better, um, as the season goes on or, or whenever Gabama comes back from injury. Um, you, you hope that that's the, the end result there as well, having, having Delph there. Um, and, and w- ahead, one Chris. more thing on that, one more thing on that note quickly. I don't know if you guys have seen the Amazon Prime video series that was kind of behind the scenes of Manchester city's season where they had a hundred yep. points and won the title. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it came out maybe 18 months ago, somewhere in there. And, you know, Fabian Delph was their starting left back that season. And he really turns into one of the, the most vocal characters on the show. You know, every locker room scene that they show, it's basically either Vincent company or Fabian Delph speaking and, you know, talking to the other players. And I think, that's one of the big things that we're going to get even aside from his on-field quality. Yeah. And that's not necessarily something that you would say Everton has a whole lot of right now. Obviously, you know, the, the move from, from Marcel Brands and 
which has largely been successful, has been to bring in some of these younger players. Um, and, you know, you now look and you've got Iwobi and Keane and Richarlison and Dinya and, and you don't necessarily, you know, some of the older guys on the team, guys like, uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson aren't necessarily the vocal leader type or you don't get that vibe from them. And that's not to knock anything about. Gilfie Sigurdsson. Uh, well, Baines isn't that way either. Yeah. Yeah. And Baines is the same way, you know, just quiet guys. And that's obviously their prerogative to be the human beings that they are. Um, but it's nice to get somebody who, you know, will kind of keep everybody in line. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, great having that, that person, um, on the, on the squad, but moving on now to, uh, you know, I think a pretty important question here, uh, as we look, um, towards the future of this team moving forward this season. Let's talk about the Everton striker situation, which is it always something comes that always, to that, it? always comes back to that. <laughs> always, always something with them. So, you know, a couple of the statistics. We've done five matches now, four in the Premier League, one in the Carabao Cup. Everton still have a just such a fitting zero goals from its striker. Somehow, Ooh. some way, we've, we've managed to score goals without using our striker. Um, so with the international break ahead of us, let's look at the situation up top and, you know, let's go player by player, kind of break this down. Let's start with, you know, I think the first person that comes to everybody's mind in this situation, Moise Keane. He got his first start against Lincoln City, started once again against Wolves last weekend. Um, hasn't gotten his first goal, but he did get credited for the assist on the Richarlison opener. However crazy that may be, um, he's also created some special, some other chances here and there. How would you guys, Chris, we'll start with you. How would you guys assess what he's brought to the team so far? Um, and, and where do you think his ceiling is, um, as we've seen him, you know, for the first few games of the season looking forward? So I'm going to answer that backwards a little bit. I think his ceiling is the highest out of any striker on the team. I don't think that's an especially insightful statement. But, you know, the, the kid is obviously electric. That being said, I don't actually know if he's providing more than Dominic Calvert-Lewin at this point in time. So Moise Keane on Sunday received 21 passes in the time that he was on the field. He completed six. So, you know, when he when he, he only had two shots and neither of them were on target. So that's that's basically eight events where he's getting rid of the ball that are not a turnover. What's uh, what's going on with the rest of them? What's happening? Is he turning it over? You know, I don't I don't know how productive he actually is. And, you know, we we can talk about how that's a product of new teammates, new league, being really young and all these things. But I think it unfortunately is still probably an open ended question in terms of who helps you win the most right now. I think uh, I, I he is obviously not had the immediate impact that we hoped he might given uh, the big impact that he had in limited minutes um, at Juventus. Obviously Juventus is Juventus and Everton is Everton. So not that there's not a huge surprise that goes along with that, but we could all dream. Um, You know, I, I think you can absolutely see the player that he can be, um, when some of the the tricks and things and the moves start to come off, uh, be it with a better understanding of his teammates or just a, a, an improvement of his own ability, 
Uh, I still think, though, he he has that X factor that that I don't think Calvert Lewin or Cenk Tosun have, where at any moment he can make a play that can win you a game. We haven't seen him do it yet, but you can see that it's there. And I think that because this is an Everton team that has become so accustomed to playing and and getting results without goals from its strikers, that if he can do other things well, if he can press the ball well, if he can make good runs that at least keep the defense honest, that that ability to be that X factor in a big moment to make a play that, you know, nobody else on this team is going to make, we're going to see it sooner rather than later. And when he makes that play and it wins us a game, we're going to go, yep, that's our guy. Yeah, and, you know, uh, one of the things that is worth mentioning, too, is if if Alex Iwobi is scoring and Richarlison is scoring and Gilfie Sigurdsson is going to score eventually because that's just what he's done his entire career, I don't know how much how many goals you actually need out of your striker. I mean, it's certainly not 20 like you were getting from Romelu Lukaku, is it? No, it's certainly not, you know, anything even near that realm. I mean, we saw... Everton last year, you know, was was relatively close to the, you know, the places that it, it wanted to to be with Calvert-Lewin and, and Schenk uh, combining up top and not, not putting out a ton of goals. And I think obviously you expect that Alex Iwobi is going to contribute more in terms of goal scoring than than what you're what we saw from Bernard. Um, and limited opportunities for Adam Ola-Lookman. It's a whole other story. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Speaking so, of limited opportunities, he's uh, finding much the same tough scene in Germany, but that's that's another topic. Yeah. It's funny. He went from one team that had a whole bunch of pretty good wingers to another one that had a whole bunch of pretty good wingers and still can't find time yeah. anyway. Um, but <laughs> no, yeah, but getting his back on track. Yeah, go ahead. We don't, you know, I don't, we don't need a striker putting up 15 or 20 goals. If, if Keane and, and Calvert Lewin and, and Schenk can combine for 15 to 20, you know, we've got a chance. Um, and if they can combine for more than that, then that would just be swell. But, yeah, so Tosin and, and Calvert-Lewin last season combined for nine. So it's six okay. from Dom and three from Chink. Um, Richarlison and Sigurdsson had 13 apiece. So, you know, if you add – Bernard was essentially a non-entity in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net, which is fine. I mean, that's not what he's – that's not yeah. his play style. If, if you add, you know, what, five, six, seven goals from Alex Iwobi and kind of just tick that striker number up to 12 or 13 – you're starting to get to where you need to be. And, you know, I feel like people are still going to complain about not having a Jamie Vardy or a, even, you know, it looks like a Sebastian Haller, like West Ham have signed or somebody like that. But the reality is you don't have to have that to be successful. And I, I, I just wonder if we're kind of trending in that direction long-term. Yeah. And those guys don't grow on trees is the other thing. No, no. <laughs> you know, uh, Moise Keane is to me, Given that this is something, you know, the, the Everton project is a long-term project right now, and I think Marcel Brands has made that clear. And obviously, you want to see immediate results. 
Um, but it's, it's a project and it's something that's going to take time. Moise Keane was the best possible striker that Everton could have hoped to sign this offseason. And I don't know if there's a whole lot that he can do this, this season that's going to sway me from that, that belief. Oh In- yeah. Well, and, and the thing is that the front three, you would think that the favorite of front three is Iwobi, Keane, and Richarlison. I think every one of those guys is under 24. They may all be under 23. Um, and in an ideal world, you get to keep them for the next eight years or whatever. And I'm not under any such pretenses. I think at least one of them, um, if not two of them, will go on to, to bigger things. But it's the right age profile for a run at the Champions League three years from now. Yeah, and they are still combined uh, younger than Phil Jagielka. That's a that's a fact. <laughs> don't check my math. It's hey, true. you know what? I don't need. To. I'm happy. That's correct. I'm happy for Phil. Uh, Sheffield have actually been pretty feisty so far, and he's got that role where he comes on for the last five minutes and points around and tells everybody what to do. Which I mean uh, involves not using his legs, which is great. Yeah, just got to use his brain, which, <laughs> which never stops working. So yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, Sheffield's been pretty solid here in the uh, beginning of the season. They put in some pretty gritty, some pretty gritty performances uh, to start off the season. But I think you guys are right. I mean, I think Keane is easily the best option we could have had, and I think that we've seen some bright spots, bright spots from him already. I mean, there was a couple. I believe it was the Watford game where he came on, where there was a couple chances that you know if he you know ball ball ends up like you know a few inches to the right, it's in the net, and we're talking about. Um, you know, how he's had a great start and whatnot. And he, you know, he has a goal under his belt already, but I think that he can bring a lot more to this team. I think this, I think he's still got a lot of learning to do, but I think we'll see him develop. And I think we'll start to see that probably, um, more and more each week, what he can bring to the team. Um, moving to Dominic Calvert Lewin now, you guys have talked about a bit already. Um, but I mean, really not much, um, not much to talk about here. His most memorable moment of the season so far was a miss, the early miss against Aston Villa. Um, anything really different from him uh, in play this year compared to last year? And does he team right now, Adam? It's funny because I think he has looked, in front of goal, he has looked more jittery than he did last year. Um, obviously that, that miss against Villa, uh, shines bright, but, uh, he, he looks like a player right now who could start the next 15 games and not score a goal, which is crazy because I feel like his holdup play has actually gotten a lot better from last season to this season. Uh, on, on the season opener, he started and within 15 minutes of the match, one of the first things I said to Chris was, Oh my God. Dom is holding the ball up so much better than he was last year. And, you know, that's that's a big part of the striker game, especially, again, in a system where Everton aren't necessarily looking uh, to create chances for the striker so much as for, for Gilfie and for Richarlison. So the ability to serve as an outlet and link the play up is important. Um, but at the end of the day, if you are a guy who gets into the 18-yard box and looks like you're going to faint, that's a problem as a striker. <laughs> he was legitimately outstanding against Watford. I know we only scored the one time, but like mm-hmm. I was thinking, I came out of that game thinking, wow, Moise Keane has got a fight on his hands. And then, you know, 
the Crystal Palace and Aston Villa games happened, and here we are. Yeah. I, yeah. I, go ahead. I, I was I was looking at at his understat profile um, earlier today, and I encourage others to to do it because it's great fun. Um, his he has like three or four misses in his career from inside the six yard box of like point five xg or more. That's not great. Uh, <laughs> he's got uh, here. I, I, I've just pulled it up right now. He has on his career. He has four, five, six, seven. He has eight shots from inside the uh, the six yard box. Uh, he converted one header on a point three five xg chance, uh, and everything else is is misses, including yeah, four of point. 6xG or more, including my personal favorite, a miss against Stoke on March 17th of 2018 that had an XG of .96. That's hard. You have to try to miss a chance that goes in 96% of the time. Um, I'm I'm really glad I don't remember that. Yeah, I I don't either. Uh, And I I thought when I saw it, I thought, surely I'm going to look at the date on this and go, oh, God, that chance. And I really did not. Um, but so, so I have certainly, there are concerns about his finishing and on the whole, he has sometimes had other, uh, he scored goals that maybe you would not have expected him to score, which have kind of leveled out his career XG to the point where he's pretty much in line with what you'd expect. He's got. 11 Premier League goals in his career, and his career XG is in the Premier League just only is 13. So it's underperforming, but not massively. Uh, but s- still, I think when you look at some of the individual chances missed, and you think about you know that chance against Aston Villa, which was not and not a, you know a slam dunk of a chance, but a pretty good one, one where you need to at least be hitting the target. You have to ask some questions uh, as to how long you can do that <laughs> at striker. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to keep advocating for him. He does all the he does all the other stuff well. He does the the pressing well. He puts in the work. He's got the work ethic out there. He's, he puts in the effort. It's just when you're not putting balls in the back of the net, especially ones that you should be putting in the back of the net, um, and you're a striker. Um, that num- normally doesn't bode well for you. So, um, you know, I think, you know, when it, when it all, you know, breaks down, I think for all of us, you know, we have a pretty good idea of who gives us the best opportunity to put a goal in the back of the net week in and week out, or, or at least think we do. Um, and Dom is slowly sliding down that list, I think, week by week. Um, moving on now to um, Tosun. You know, he's made the bench for three of Everton's four Premier League matches, but hasn't played in the league yet. Um, he did get 16 minutes off the bench against Lincoln City, uh, which he had an assist to put the Tophies, uh, the Tophies up 3-2. to two. Um, But he's pretty clearly behind um, Dom on the depth chart. Should he be behind him? And what does he bring to the table that Calvert-Lewin does not? Chris, we'll start with you. Um, so my man Chink gets way too much disrespect, both from his coaching staff and from the people out on these, you know, internet streets. 
I think that he has an incredibly well, hey, don't laugh at me. Internet um, streets. <laughs> he's got an incre- incredibly well-rounded game, which, you know, if you watch the Lincoln game, you saw his feathery knockdown back to Alex Awobi, where he had the forethought within a split second to knock it back into the ground um, so that Awobi could get on the end of it. You know, those are the types of plays that we've seen pretty much every time Chink has played for Everton, right? Like his first touch and his vision and just kind of the, the ideas have been outstanding. And I think, you know, it, it's easy to say that he hasn't taken his chances in terms of actually scoring goals. What my theory presupposes is what if he really hasn't had any chances? Yeah, I like that theory. <laughs> certainly again his sample size i think at everton especially last season was so small um before you know uh, silva kind of pulled the plug initially for richarlison up top and then eventually for calvert lewin that i think it it is a little difficult to say with any certainty he can or cannot you know finish at the rate that that is needed um what i will say is that yeah chris 0.43 xg 90 last year which is good yeah yeah uh and a lot of it comes down to the technical ability and his ability on the ball with his back to goal picking out passes to the the wingers or to gilfie uh it's it's just light years above what calvert lewin and and even uh, above what moise keen brings as well uh and and i just have to wonder that if if at a certain point the game plan really does continue to trend toward the hey we're not that worried if our strikers score or not because we've got other guys who will if if you're trending in that direction then i think check Tosun is probably your best choice at striker because he is the guy who's going to hold up the ball the best for the other players. He is the guy who's going to distribute the ball the best. And he's going to make clever little plays like he did on that headed knockdown to Iwobi against Lincoln City. And, you know, and part of that just comes with age. You know, this is a guy who's been playing the game for a long time at pretty high professional levels. And he's got a, a reasonable amount of experience. And you can see that he's thinking the game in a way that, you know, you don't expect a 19 or a 21-year-old to to do yet. And with the talent that's around him in that attacking front now, that's really valuable and something that should probably get him more play than he's getting right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I, I think, you know, he gets kind of a a, a bad rep sometimes and, and we don't really have that that sample size is small and and we don't really know what he would do with significant minutes for this um for this for this squad you know he got his chance before the overhaul before the Marcel Brands era um and he hasn't really gotten much of a chance since then he does provide as Adam said he does provide some uh something with his back to the goal holding up the ball and whatnot um you know so it's it's definitely something to look at, um, you know, and kind of, you know, ponder what what he could be if he's given some extra time out there. Um, again, you know, to, in this in the first game that he played in, had an assist that um, ended up being the winning goal against Lincoln City, albeit it's Lincoln City, but um, but still, I, I think that w- there's still a lot 
you know, I think that there still could be things that um, that he could bring to the table that we haven't seen yet, and he hasn't really gotten a chance to show us. Um, so, moving on here to the final um, final quote unquote striker that we're going to talk about here in this striker situation, a, a guy who played striker for a decent amount of games last year, Richarlison. Omar Diaz? No. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. Who, by the way, did not make it off the books before the, the deadline around Europe closed. So he's uh, he's going to be playing for David Unsworth a lot. Oh, <laughs> right. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, you're right. Yannick Bellassi escaped to sporting in Portugal, yeah. but uh, Cuco Martina and Omar Nies, they're, uh, they're stuck. Man, I wish I could get paid what he's getting paid to do nothing. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not even, it's, yeah, it's mean, almost better than nothing. He gets to go out there and abuse, you know, the, the under 22s or whatever it is in, who, with his Premier League experience. You know, he's going to score probably, what, 10, 15 times in Premier League, too? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely good. Uh, definitely good confidence booster there um, for him. Um, but yeah, but no, we were is, not about to talk to to talk about. Uh, we're we're about not Umar about Nias. to talk about Umar Nias. No, we were not about to talk about that. We were about to talk about Richarlison. Um, you know, it seems that every time he puts a ball um, in the back of the net from the center of the box, we talk about should Richarlison play striker with you know Bernard and Alex will be both available on the wings. There's um, you know, he'd be missed probably much less out wide than he would in, in, in last year's season um, or last year's squad, I should say. So let's re-mention it. Let's talk about it. Adam, we'll start with you. Should Richarlison play striker? Nope. That's it. That's all I've got. No. Um, no, he, he shouldn't. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it's, and it's, it's the same reason, really, that I mentioned his, his strengths earlier. He's hey, let me his... let me tell you, Adam had a bone to pick with the announcers on Sunday when they brought oh, this up. So, so, so okay, so here's here's what happens, right? So Richarlison scores the game, the ultimate game winner in in this match this weekend, and and what happens? Luka Dinya comes down the left wing. He, I have no idea how he got the cross in. It's a tremendous play, and we should give him some credit on that because I don't think we did earlier. Um, he puts a cross in, and what happens? Richarlison pinches in from the right wing and he winds up out jumping Willie Bowley, who's six foot five to win this header and put the ball in the back of the net. Now I'm going to tell you something. If Richarlison is playing center striker, Willie Bowley is up his ass and Richarlison's not winning any headers over six foot five Willie Bowley playing as center striker with the guy up his ass. What Richarlison is so good at is sneaking in off that wing and just finding those little pockets of space in those uh, those channels between the center the center and the right or the center and the left if he's on the left and and making just miserable time for the fullbacks and the center backs trying to pick him up in between and you just don't get that with him as a striker if you're playing the center striker you've got the attention of the two center backs and he's not a player with the strength or with the raw speed or with the raw technical ability to deal with that kind of pressure from the center backs for 90 minutes. He's at his best. He does what he does well because he is coming in off the wing where he's getting less attention. So no, he should not play striker. He should never, ever, ever be playing striker because it 
it limits him so much because it, it really takes away what he is best at. Yeah, I mean, I don't have particularly much to add to that because I completely agree. Um, I, I told, uh, I think it was Adam with, during the game, that Richarlison kind of reminds you of um, early stages Cristiano Ronaldo without all the dribbling ability where he kind of looks like a, a forward playing wing, but the reason that you, you think you want him to be a striker is because he's so good at popping up out of nowhere from the wing. And, you know, you don't really want to take his effectiveness from doing that away. It's, you know, Aryan Robin had his specialty with, you know, cutting in from the wing and shooting with his left foot. And Richarlison has his, and nobody's been able to figure it out yet. And I don't really foresee that changing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I nothing really to say here. Agree with both of you guys. I think that Richarlison needs to stay on the right. I think that, you know, there's no reason to, or at least yet, there's no reason to move him to the middle. Um, you know, well, I think we're the stronger. Thing is, too, quickly, uh, that as we saw him impact the game so extremely defensively um, on Sunday, that's a lot harder to do from the striker position. Um, and if he's going to commit to that moving forward, I'd like to see him stay there. Yeah, and and I, yeah, I think that we're just a stronger team when we're able to play with Charleston on the right. It seems like we, you know, Wobie seems to be bringing something. And then if Moise, Moise Keen can start putting a few in the back of the net, I think that's our best front three in that attacking option. And I don't think there's any reason to move for Charleston to that striker, that striker role. But moving on now, just to finish things up here, we don't have a game this coming weekend as it is international break. Whatever. <laughs> that's how I feel about that. It sucks because, you know, especially after a great win, this past weekend, you want to get back and see, see Everton once more. But after the break, Everton heads to England's southern shores. They take on Bournemouth. Um, four points from four matches for them so far. They had a 3-1 loss against Manchester City um, this past weekend, which I think is fair to say is – or not this past weekend, excuse me, uh, two weekends ago, I believe, um, which I think is fair to say is, is not all that bad considering how – City have ripped apart some of the other teams they faced. Um, but Adam, general thoughts on Bournemouth as a whole? Um, you know, I, I think that they uh, will again be a team that is probably pretty safe from relegation. Uh, I think that there's enough talent in that squad and that Eddie Howe is a good enough manager that, uh, that there's not a whole lot of concern. And they really ought to be complimented for that because this is a team that, you know, 10, 15 years ago was almost out of football league altogether. And, and now, you know, when conversations about who's going to get relegated from the Premier League comes up, you really don't even think Bournemouth. Um, and Eddie Howe has managed to do it with them by and large playing pretty entertaining football. Um, they're a team that are easy to get behind for, you know, for those reasons and a lot more. But I don't think at this point they've got a whole lot of, uh, upward mobility either. I think, you know, 10th, nah, 10th to mean, 15th is probably where you expect to see them come the end of the season. It, it's it's kind of admirable in a way that they've been able to stay so competitive while remaining entertaining. Um, it's We've kind of seen North City do that so far, um, at least early on in their return to the Premier League. But, you know, the, Bournemouth never really have young players that you can kind of want to pick off of their roster and move them up the table. Uh, you know, Ryan Fraser is not, you know, 
Yeah, I think he co-led the Premier League in assists last year, and I believe that they had zero bids for him in the over the summer. So it, it's that <laughs> it's that kind of thing that I think actually helps them, right? You know, that continuity along with Eddie Howe uh, being committed to playing attacking football that's that's kind of impressive. The one the one guy that maybe you could see move on is Callum Wilson, but even him, even he has been hit with some really severe knee injuries, so I don't know if that'll happen. <sighs> I, I have I have respect for Bournemouth. I don't have I I'm never really super concerned about Bournemouth in terms of tailing Everton for the top seven. Yeah, I, I think with um with Bournemouth, I, this game is at Bournemouth, and I think they tend to play a little bit better at home. I believe, um, so that's something always to look out for. Um, but we'll see how, um. You know, we'll see how, how that plays out. But you mentioned Callum Wilson. He leads the line for Bournemouth. He's put in 14 goals, nine assists last season. Um, you know, a pretty pretty good jump for a guy on a mid table team um, in in uh, his 20 in his 26 year old season. Does he remain the danger man for Bournemouth? Uh, is last season's form sustainable for him? I know you guys talked about you talked a little bit about the, that there. You know, making that jump, but with the knee injuries, that could be a problem. Um, is he the is he the guy for them um, this season as well? I mean, I think I think he probably has to be right. Ryan Fraser's not going to get you a bunch of goals. Josh King's a little bit inconsistent, and you know now that Callum Wilson is kind of a staple as Gareth Southgate in England's third striker when the you know they're moving into the European uh, qualifiers up uh, up in a couple months. I. I'm, I want to say he's probably one of the eight to 10 best pure center forwards in the league. And so for a club of Bournemouth size, I mean, their, their stadium seats 10,500 people, 11,000 people somewhere in there. Uh, I think this is the type of guy that you have to rely on. I mean, he had 16 expected goals for Bournemouth last season. That is a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's so much that even without I can't put my finger on why I don't feel like it's possibly sustainable because I watch him play and I go, yeah, that's a pretty good player. And the numbers back it up. And I, I, I mean, just, I'm looking at his shot map from last season right now. And I'm, my, you know, my mouth's kind of watering. This is, this is some good stuff. Everything's yeah, pretty much I, from penalty spot and in. And I just, I just cannot shake the feeling that it's that he cannot he cannot be that that player again and i don't even it doesn't even feel like an injury thing to me uh, players for a player to make that kind of jump in terms of quality at the age that he is at at the sort of club that that Bournemouth is is just so rare and and then to see that sustained again is just so rare i it's just hard for me to to see him, you know, being able to put up another 15 goal season. Of course, now I've said that he will put up a hat trick this weekend. So I do, or next <laughs> weekend, excuse me. So I apologize in advance for that. Um, but, but that's, like I said, I, I, I can't point to anything concrete that makes me feel that way. So I, I feel bad even saying it, but gosh darn, my gut just says I, I can't see it well, uh, well, continuing to be way. that way. Put it this way, last season he played about a quarter more minutes than he played the previous season. 
and he double over doubled his expected goals. So doubled the expected goals in only a quarter more time. That's pretty unusual and not likely to sustain itself. Uh, I'll defer to you on that, but it seems like that wouldn't be the case. You, yeah, you would not, you would not expect that un- unless there were huge changes in what was around him or he, you know, really did make an enormous jump in terms of you know, the player that he was into the player who, uh, who he is now. And that's not to say that, you know, you, you can't, <laughs> you can't make that sort of improvement at age, you know, 25 or 26, but you just don't see it that frequently. Uh, uh, Bournemouth actually scored two more goals this season that he only had seven XG than they did last year. <laughs> well, yeah, he was everything <laughs> last year was the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's he's been a solid player for, player for them, but that's you know, like you guys have said, it's a pretty high uh, standard to hold up to. Um, again, this season, um, it'll be interesting to see how he does. Um, but you know, probably a guy that Everton need to look out for as they go into this matchup. But let's talk about what Everton need to do. What do they need to do well to beat Bournemouth? Um, and then any obvious weaknesses uh, we see Silva looking to exploit. Uh, Adam, we'll start with you. Uh, I, I think that you kind of expect, as we've said, that, that Eddie Howe will have his team, you know, look to, to play on the front foot, uh, you know, not, not the sit deep and defend sort of tactics that we saw against Villa, that we saw against Wolves at times. Um, so that does open up Everton to potentially try to play a little bit more, uh, of the high press or potentially to sit deep and try to counter and catch Bournemouth on the break. Uh, I think that the place usually um, where we find Everton separating itself uh, from teams like this who are, you know, kind of mid-table Premier League teams is is often in the center of midfield. Uh, Bournemouth usually will, will only have the two true uh, center mids in, and I don't suspect that there'll be guys who can really compete with um, with Gomez and, and probably uh, Fabian Delph. You know, I, Philip Billing and Jefferson Lerma don't exactly fill me with dread, especially if Eddie Howe decides to go 4-4-2. I think that the center midfield is the place where Everton will look to win the game because they can overwhelm those players. Um, but that Bournemouth continue to find a way to score goals, uh, at this level at times, despite all evidence to the contrary. So you do have to always be on alert. Yeah, I, I generally agree. And I would say the one thing that at least sticks out to me from watching Bournemouth is they love to overload the wings with, um, either wingbacks or wingers who kind of start overlapping just really quickly be it Ryan Fraser or Charlie Daniels, who is now hurting out for the season. But that type of thing, I think, can get Everton off guard just because Marco Silva does like to push his fullbacks up so so high up the field. So that would kind of be the thing that I want to watch out for um, next week. But it, this is the type of matchup from a personnel perspective that Everton should be winning handily. Well, let's get into it right now. Predictions. Uh, just to give you guys a little bit of insight going into this one. Um, in since Bournemouth have rejoined the Premier League and games that we've played at Bournemouth, um, in Premier League games we played at Bournemouth, uh, have yet to win one. So 
Uh, definitely a little bit of a hurdle we have going in there from the Premier League. The only game that we've won at Bournemouth um, since they came back to the Premier League was their uh, an FA Cup match. Uh, we won that one two nothing. So, you know, with with you know, you know, uh, our struggles at Bournemouth in mind, I think coming into this one. I uh, it's it's so tough because you do on quality of squad. I want to lean Everton, but I, I never truly trust our away form, especially. Uh, well, no, not especially anything, just all the time. I never trust our away form. Um, but for reasons that I can't quite comprehend, I, I'm going to go two to one Everton. Um, I think that we find a way to, to break down Bournemouth a couple of times. Their defense is not, you know, exactly wowing and we'll find a way on the road to pull one out. I'm I'm also I had two one in my mind before Adam said that so I'm gonna stick with it in the interest of intellectual honesty or something oh, like that. Oh no, that's not good for <laughs> me. You haven't got a pick right yet this season. Uh, <laughs> I'm boned. Now, don't you laugh, Gino? You haven't either. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> that's why he's laughing. <laughs> I, um, I'm hey, thinking. By the way. <laughs> yeah. I want the number one overall pick next year, whatever that means. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am the. Prediction League Miami Dolphins. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just – the biggest thing is that I think somehow Bournemouth's midfield has gotten worse. I mean, they signed a player from Huddersfield, and he's now a first-choice starter in Philip Billing. So, you know, if, if it's Fabian Delph or if it's Andre Gomes or if it's even Morgan Schneiderlin, that, uh, that's a pretty big mismatch, and I think that is where Marco Silva will try to win the game. Yeah, I, I'm – I guess I'm a little lot less opt- optimistic. I'm going to go with the draw here. Some like one, one, two, two. Um, I don't know. I just, it's, it's a tough one. I think this is going to be a tough one. I think this one might cause us a little bit of trouble. Hopefully that's not the case because over this stretch of games we have here, we have a real chance to, um, take advantage of some lesser opponents, opponents that we should be beating. Um, and, and you know, keep this, keep, keep a little run going here before we head into, um, a December, a month of December where I believe we have some, some really, really tough games coming up, uh, in a row. So there you have it. That's our predictions. That's what we got for you guys this week. Obviously, again, we don't play this week. Um, don't play again, uh, till, till next weekend. So we won't be talking to you guys, I believe until, the, until the week after that. Um, we'll have a review of the Bournemouth game and then a preview of the, the upcoming match after that. Um, until then, hope you guys enjoyed this. Hope you guys keep listening. Keep following us on Twitter and whatnot, um, and we'll talk to you guys then. Later.